parenting in a pandemic, y'all, I have a deep respect for parents who do it all. And as a newish parent of a 22-month-old wild child, I have a lot of questions. I'm your host, Mel Alvar, and I'll be talking to parents from across the spectrum here at Parent Chat Podcast about all of the things. I want to honor the journey of parenthood, so come with open ears and open hearts. We're all just doing the best we can. Hey, did you know November is Indigenous Heritage Month? I want to start by making an Indigenous land acknowledgement statement for my first episode. The land I live on in Duluth, Minnesota is Anishinaabe land. This land on the shores of Gichigumi are sacred and it has been stolen from the Anishinaabe people. We must recognize the harm that has been caused by those acts of violence and do what we can to make sure history doesn't repeat itself and move forward together. We need to teach our children the true history of this country. As we move through the month of November, I ask you to learn about the Anishinaabe who were here before us and who are still our neighbors today in Duluth and surrounding communities. With Thanksgiving around the corner, it's also incredibly important to be having conversations with our families and our children about the true history of Thanksgiving and the cruelty that was inflicted on indigenous people. I also encourage you to research Indigenous-owned local businesses and support them. They are also struggling through this pandemic. To name a few, check out Sous Chef, an Indigenous-first gift shop. Whose Indigenous land do you live on? This episode of the Parent Chat Podcast may contain graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for my very first episode of the Parent Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Mel Alvar, 33-year-old mama to 22-month-old Benjamin Michael. I thought it would be super fitting to start by diving into my journey to becoming a parent. In episodes to come, I will be sitting down with my husband, Bryce to talk about his experience and what it's been like for us as new parents in a global pandemic. So when I released my trailer back in October, I thought I would be jumping right into my first episodes and interviews with parents. At that time, I had no idea that in just a couple of weeks, COVID-19 would enter my home and affect my family. Bryce and I will talk more about this experience in my next episode. But as of today, November 21st, I've been symptom-free for two weeks. I've been back to work remotely from home full-time for two weeks as well, the majority of which Ben was home with me while our daycare was closed. Every deadline I had set for myself with launching this podcast has gone right out the window life during a pandemic has been incredibly unpredictable. So I just want to be completely transparent here in saying that the release of episodes may not be consistent and interviews with parents will just happen when they happen. And I'm saying this because I I actually did set a lot of high standards for myself in starting (laughs) this podcast. So, So anyway, that's more of just me letting myself off the hook. You 
I don't know if you cared that I wasn't releasing episodes right away, but I appreciate that you're here anyway. I should also mention a lasting effect of COVID is shortness of breath, so you may notice a little of that as we move through my story today. So to start, it's an important part of my story and experience to mention my incredible, loving, and supportive parents who I hope to someday interview, Tom and Cheryl. As the oldest of three girls, I was taught very early on the importance of responsibility and being a positive role model. I also have a very large extended family where my aunties and uncles were also important role models for me in what a parent looks like in that caregiver role. In my family, it takes a village and with the pandemic, it's certainly been a huge barrier to that experience for my son as we're all socially distancing and trying to communicate virtually. Growing up, my only plans of becoming a parent were to adopt a baby from a third world country. I'm not 100% sure where this thought originated from, but I recognize now that this was based out of a very white savior complex. And now that there are so many children and youth in my own community that need safe and loving homes. As I mentioned, I'm the oldest of three girls. I take on the caregiving role very easily and I do believe I had a, a guiding hand in their care and, and being a part of raising them. I learned a lot about breastfeeding and changing diapers and baby proofing and what it likes to, looks like to parent as a partner team sharing household roles and responsibilities. Um, and another thing I should mention is that I have experienced my my fair share of trauma throughout my life. There are pretty significant gaps in my memory um, and I'm still very much impacted by this trauma and in a way it might influence my parenting style, it influences my relationships with my husband, and pretty much how I interact with the world. One particular experience was with my high school ex. We met when we were 16. We were pretty happy and healthy junior year. And then in senior year, things took a dark turn. Our relationship became very unhealthy due to his drug use and my codependency. I became to isolate myself from friends and family. In the middle of it, I experienced a miscarriage at age 18. And I had, at the time, I had no idea how normal it was for a first pregnancy to miscarry either. I was also experiencing the strange emptiness after that. I didn't understand how I could miss something that I didn't even know was there. Something that I didn't even know was a part of me. 
There were only a small group of friends that I hadn't alienated yet that I relied very heavily on to keep my secret, to help me process, and who supported me unconditionally without judgment, even though they had no idea what I was going through. At that time, I also relied very heavily on my Christian faith, something that I don't subscribe to anymore, but at that time, I believe that God had a plan and a reason for everything. So seize, it was important for me to seize this moment and to learn from this experience. I have a very fond memory from around this time with some of my very best friends. We went to a youth retreat at a cabin in the middle of winter and there I was able to process and pray with my friends and youth counselors that I had never met before and I came home feeling pretty okay about it. Consequently, I stayed with my ex for a total of five more years after that. It got worse and at times violent. I started using to cope. I thought if I used with him, maybe he'd love me more than his drugs and his substances. That obviously wasn't the case. With the support and love of my family and my, my fighting spirit, I was actually able to leave and begin recovery in 2008, all the while pursuing my bachelor's in public health and gender studies. I did go into college right outside of high school, um, and I became very passionate and career-driven. I set out with a mission to land my dream job, doing my heart's work with youth in my community. And I was fortunate that I had an idea of what I wanted to do for my career since I was age 15. And I was able to reach that dream job by 25 and it's something that I'm still doing today. Through my traumatic experiences, the miscarriage, and the knowledge I had gained doing the work that I do, I became less interested in becoming a parent. I know too well how scary this world can be and the terrible things that can take our children away from us or touch our families. But to survive as an advocate, I, I also believe this statement also aligns with how we survive as parents. At the end of the day, we just have to know that we did our very best to protect our children, inform them, teach them, believe them, love them unconditionally without judgment so they know if they ever need us or if something ever happens or if they run into trouble that we will be there for them. And we just have to know we did our very best. So I met Bryce, my husband, in 2010. I was <laughs> living my best life at that time. Um, when I met him, I to actually told him that I wasn't, you know, looking for a relationship. I was, had, you know, gotten out of an abusive relationship and I was just having fun and, and, uh, We'll get into a little bit more of this in our episode. Um, 
with both of us, but I was 23 at the time and he had just turned 21. So we, we were not in any hurry to start a family. But we were a big part of my nephew's life as he had just been born a couple of weeks before I met Bryce. I knew very early on that Bryce was someone I wanted to spend the life my the rest of my life with. Um, so I saw no need really to rush things. We got engaged in 2014, and that was also the year that Bryce's best friend Ben was killed on his motorcycle on his way to our cabin on Island Lake. The following year, we lost Bryce's dad to cancer and we bought a house. That was also the year I started my dream job and also the year that my godson Michael is murdered at age three. In 2017, we had a very beautiful and fun commitment ceremony that just so happened to be officiated by my childhood best friend who I will be interviewing in episodes to come. And I think at that time is when we really started having serious conversations about starting a family. I would go back and forth because at this time we were pretty heavily involved in CrossFit. I was in the best shape of my life, podium placing at competition and deadlifting over 250 pounds. I I guess I really struggled with seeing parallels of incredible feat that growing a human and deadlifting and back squatting were equally badass. I didn't feel like a goddess for being able to give birth. I think because of my trauma and worldview, I saw it almost as a burden. And can you blame me? There are outrageous pressures on cisgender women, especially those of us in hetero relationships. There's pressures for us to get married, pump out kids, right? The pressure to bounce back after pregnancy, all of that I felt before it had even happened. And at 30 years old, I worked so damn hard. It took me 30 long years to love my body, every inch of it. I was so scared of what was to come once it started growing a tiny human, for real, this time, right? Because I didn't even know I was growing a tiny human before. I also had a lot of fear about the loss of control. With my trauma, I like predictability sometimes and control, especially over my own body. And as someone in recovery, I also recognize that I would have to be 100% substance-free. And this also scared the hell out of me. But to be clear, like I had no intention and I didn't use at all during my pregnancy with Benjamin but it was a really humbling experience for me to process that and I can't imagine what it would have been like 
being an active user or new to recovery and to find out that I was pregnant. I had 10 years in recovery under my belt, but this, you know, by this time, and it was still incredibly difficult to process that. So with all of these (laughs) excuses under the sun not to, the strongest reason for wanting to really, you know, was the driving force. And that was a deep desire to start a family with the love of my life. So I decided to make a deal with myself for our wedding my loving parents gave us plane tickets to Hawaii and I said let me get my sexy ass to Hawaii in a bikini and then we'll see what happens after that why this is significant is because when I took a senior trip to Hawaii it was the first time in my life I'd worn a bikini so this was somewhat of a self-perceived prophecy and a, a gifted mission that I might be better equipped to accept the changes to come with pregnancy and a changing body. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. You know. But I did know that I had worked so hard to nourish and strengthen it. And now I, I see it as I was doing that work to, to be in a healthy place to become pregnant. And I'm very thankful for that and blessed. So we went to Honolulu in February of 2018 and in May on Memorial Day I found out we were four weeks pregnant. We were at my mom's house helping her pack because she was moving and I just remember being so tired and so hungry. At that time we were eating pretty clean and I remember just chowing down on my nephew's Annie's mac and cheese and tots and I remember thinking like what the heck am I doing I never eat like this why am I eating like this and why the heck am I so stinking tired because I was also taking little cat naps throughout the day and it was super irritating to my mother that I wasn't very helpful I'm pretty sure I also slept all the way home as well so Bryce and I get home He runs to the grocery store, and I go to get ready to take a shower. Before I get in, I figure I'll take a pregnancy test, because at this point of trying or not trying to stop, you know, pregnancy, I was taking tests weekly. And I knew I was probably getting my period soon, because that previous Friday, I had gotten a pretty severe migraine, which is typical Um, it's a typical signal for me of that time of the month so I take the test not having any expectations whatsoever because it was pretty routine routine at this point and I see that it says positive holy shit (laughs) no way I get into the shower and I'm giggling to myself. I'm laughing and all I can keep saying is, holy shit, no way. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm like, what is Bryce gonna do? Oh my God. 
Bryce gets home from grocery shopping and I call him into the bathroom. I show him the test. <gasps> what does this mean? We're pregnant, I say, and hug him. And he just whispers, holy shit. <laughs> and he just looked white as a sheet. And all I remember then is us sitting in the living room in silence, processing and whispering I love you to each other like every 30 minutes. And we weren't really ready to tell many people yet because it was still pretty soon. I do remember we did call my immediate family and told them and I think we made my dad cry and my mom cry and my sisters cry and Bryce's mom I think might have cried and then at that time I knew someone who worked at a clinic where I could go get a test the next day so I text her and she's like yeah just come on by and and we'll take the test and I guess I just needed to be sitting in an office, you know, to to be confirmed that it was true. So, so sure enough, uh, I was, it was positive still, and we figured I was about four weeks along, and that I'd be due in February of 2019. So, um, I think we waited until I was about 10 weeks along to start announcing it because. Again, going back to, you know, experiencing my first miscarriage, I just was expecting the worst, honestly. Like, I've, I think I've been through enough trauma, and maybe I'm just a pessimist sometimes, <laughs> I don't know, that I was just like, don't, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. You don't know what's going to happen. Anything could happen. Something bad might happen. Something bad is going to happen. And... So we, in, we waited, you know, at least till 10 weeks to tell people. And then unfortunately that kind of processing stuck with me pretty much almost the entire pregnancy. I have family members who, you know, really struggle to get pregnant. I know people who struggle with infertility issues and I was just prepared for the worst, to be honest. I was still eating very healthily, healthily, you know, everything was going really good. Going in, you know, my favorite appointments were listening to the heartbeat. We almost did get a little Doppler reader, but I think that just would have made me more neurotic because it's not always guaranteed you can hear a heartbeat, right, when it actually is there. And then I think it wasn't until like 20 some weeks that they wanted to be monitoring the placenta because at one time it was covering my uterus and so they were having me come in more frequently to be checked out to make sure that it would move up up my uterus and didn't stay covering my cervix. So that was making me a little paranoid that something was going to happen but those I I was told that that's pretty common that you know, the placenta moves and everything. So, so then the 
I'm still doing CrossFit. And to be honest, also, I had a very easy pregnancy very early on. I didn't experience any nausea or sickness. I was so lucky. But I did have horrible heartburn, which is something when I was overweight, it very much was connected to me getting in shape and getting healthy again because, you know, my doctors at that time had mentioned, you know, losing weight might help get rid of heartburn. So bringing that back or that came back when I was pregnant really heavily. So I was chugging pickle juice on a pretty regular basis because that was the only thing that would help help me. And And then I started having like lower back and pelvic pain closer to like December and I was due in February, remember? So, so in December, I think November, December, I was feeling pretty heavy, lower back pelvic pain. And it, you know, all I could do was lay down to alleviate that. The last, I think I was 30 weeks when I stopped going to CrossFit Um, I, at that time they started monitoring me for early preeclampsia. And so I didn't know a lot about preeclampsia at all, but it is very serious and it is very common. So, you know, they test your urine to see if there's protein in your urine and it's all about like checking your blood pressure. And if you are preeclamptic, essentially your organs can shut down and it can be life threatening to both mom and the baby. So... So they were monitoring me for that and other moms that there was a couple other moms that I knew that were also pregnant at the same time. And we were kind of sharing in those fears and everything about being preeclamptic and the experience of all of that. So I was, I felt very supported at that time, talking to other people who were experienced mothers and, you know, not ever having going, gone through it before, I think was just... I think is always scary for people sometimes when you just don't know what to expect, when you don't know what the first kicks feel like, like, am I feeling kicks or am I just gassy? And then when you're like, oh yeah, that's a kick. And you're just like, oh my God, I've been feeling that for so long and I didn't know it was a kick. So still at this time though, like feeling those kicks and feeling the movement I'd like to think that normally so many moms are feeling, you know, starting to feel so connected and, and all of this stuff to this tiny growing human. And I was still just so ready to lose him at any time. And I was still putting, I think I, it's just, it all goes back to my trauma. Honestly, it all goes back to how many people I've lost in my life. And um, so in talking about, we did do, um, we, you know, we did do a gender reveal. And I, I do recognize how harmful that is now to folks who don't identify in the binary and, and things like that. But we 
did want to share that moment with our family. We created a piece of artwork with a chalk ball that we threw and my sisters helped us plan it all out. And it was a, really just a moment to find out, you know, what is our, what's the name going to be? I'm a very impatient person. There was no way I was going to wait till they were born to find out their biological sex. So, so with that, we did, you know, talk pretty early on about what the name for our baby was going to be. And without any question, one day Bryce was like, what if we called him Benjamin Michael after our friend Ben that we lost and my godson? And I remember just... getting really emotional because they're two very important people in our lives and how lucky are we that we can memorialize them and honor them and naming them after our son naming our son after them <laughs> so so it was set we didn't have honestly from the time I became pregnant we didn't even talk about any other name and so then we are you know end of December comes I'm getting pretty uncomfortable but we do and I do um, start making plans to have a doula at my birth and become very aware that you know I can have this birth plan but anything can happen especially with childbirth at you know if you can have any say in it there are a few things that are really important to go um, a certain way and I just knew that I wanted to have an advocate there with me, you know, because I needed Bryce there for support and I just, I needed another advocate. So we had plans to have a doula and then I went to, I had, on January 1st, I wrote up this birth plan, this birth idea of things I wanted to have available for me. I knew that I wanted to give birth in a hospital because for my first time, again, I didn't know what to expect as much as I love the idea of a home birth. I just, and being due in the middle of winter, I didn't know. I didn't know exactly what I wanted. And it was still really hard for me to process like this is going to happen. I was terrified by childbirth just because of all the things that can happen and the pain I guess I have I didn't know how what to expect of the pain so then January 1st we go check out the birthing center at the local hospital that we wanted to go to and we got to you know tour a couple of rooms and then of course the room that sticks out to me the most now that we had toured was the c-section room that they call it because it's right across from the elevators so they can get up and down from the operating room so I get my birth plan I know where we're going now and then on January 6th I'm working late preparing for a press conference that I'm about to present at the next day and I remember I had a 
a lot to eat that day, so I was kind of having some stomach pain, and it wasn't feeling like it was, you know, baby stomach pain, but, but anyway, I remember it started on my left side, and so I go to bed late, and then at three in the morning, I'm waking up in excruciating pain, and this pain's moved to the right side of my lower abdomen, and I go into the bathroom and I notice that I'm bleeding. So I can't describe exactly how I felt other than I like snapped into this survival mode of like hyper focused, just hyper focused. I remember thinking, okay, I got to go wake Bryce up. We got to go to the hospital that we don't fuck with blood. Like I just... I wasn't panicked. I was just, okay, we got, we got things to do. We got to go. So I had already kind of had a bag packed, but I wasn't due for another month. So like it wasn't full. Our nursery wasn't even ready. The house wasn't even ready yet. There were things we still needed. And so we half-assed, packed this bag, got what we needed and headed to the hospital. And of course, you know, we're in Duluth, Minnesota, so it's a freaking, it's raining and snowing, it's a blizzard, and half of the roads on Woodland Avenue aren't even plowed yet, so I just remember every bump was excruciating. I was in so much pain, but I was like, hurry up, slow down, hurry up, slow down, and like taking deep breaths and, and then we we get to the hospital and I vaguely remember them you know monitoring the baby's heart rate and um, I was still bleeding and then the doctor comes in and basically says like well you this baby's being born tonight and we're gonna go get you prepped and ready and I'm like okay sounds good I just let's go because I hurt I'm in pain and I was still not panicked yet. I was still in this survival mode and they're, they're wheeling me down. They're getting me prepped and I'm talking to Bryce and I'm just like, well, um, here we go. <laughs> and I just, I remember just feeling also even more calm because the staff were really calm and the nurses were really calm and everyone was just great. I think if someone would have showed me panic or like, this is bad, I probably would have freaked out. But, you know, so then I remember they gave me the shot and immediately I'm feeling relief and I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to party. Let's go. Let's do this. And from what I do remember of his birth, um, Benjamin's birth is I, I did feel like the tugging but it did seem like it went fairly quickly and smoothly. He came out right at six in the morning. I, I don't remember hearing him cry. Um, so I think that freaked me out. I remember looking at Bryce saying, why isn't he crying? Why isn't he crying? And then I held my breath. And then a couple seconds later, he, he cried and they brought him over to me and I was able to hold him and hug him and kiss him. And they got video 
and they got pictures of us and I think I, all I was saying was like, hello my love, hello my love. And he was so tiny. Um, I was only 35 weeks along and he was born at four pounds, 11 ounces. And he was just the tiniest little man. We called him Benjamin Button because he just, he had no fat on his little body. And so Bryce got to cut the umbilical cord and they took him, you know, right to the nursery and got him ready and I had to go into rec in the recovery room and they get me upstairs and I'm only in there for just a couple of minutes and I remember passing clots. I was passing multiple clots and there was a lot of blood and I found out later that I had lost enough blood that I needed three blood transfusions. So they had to bring me right back down to emergency surgery. And at that time, they told me that if the DNC didn't work, that I was gonna have to have a total hysterectomy. And so that was a pretty big, you know, mind fuck <laughs> that I was, I came in there, you know, being told I was about to give birth at 30 week, 35 weeks, and that, you know, additionally, if this emergency surgery didn't work, that I would never be giving birth again. So, so I was like, okay, let's do this, do what you got to do. Um, and I'm in the recovery room again, they say it went very well, they didn't have to do a hysterectomy. And I get upstairs and I mean with that blood transfusion I we were in the hospital for it was Monday when we went in and I didn't get to we didn't get to go home until Friday and I think it was about Thursday that I finally kind of snapped out of that survival mode and started to process that we almost just died and process that my little tiny human was here and I wasn't ready. <laughs> I was kind of forced to be ready. And of course, you know, I am feeling the most intense love and deepest, deepest love for this little tiny baby. But there was still this weird attachment because I didn't think he was gonna survive the pregnancy and so and on top of that I had pretty severe postpartum de depression and anxiety and also to add on top of that I didn't really think the breastfeeding was gonna be as difficult as it was it was horribly difficult for me I thought well I've I've got the equipment, this will be no problem. Well, my tiny baby, his mouth was so tiny that we actually had to syringe feed him for 
months. And I think I was so determined and felt so pressured, just the outside voices. It wasn't even anybody, it wasn't anybody at lactation. It wasn't, I felt this intense pressure to like nearly kill myself breastfeeding. But it was do or die, basically. Even though he had been given formula in the hospital because there were nights I just had to sleep. I And I felt guilty about that. Like, nobody was making me feel guilty about anything. It was all this pressure I had put on myself. And... And I'm... And honestly, like... I'm now I don't have shame about it anymore and I I believe my hormones have finally maybe leveled out since giving birth but I just didn't know that it was okay I didn't get that permission that it was okay to give him formula until my public health nurse Susie told me that it was okay that I needed to be able to give myself permission to do that and I I was so blessed with an awesome public health nurse and I'm so thankful Um, she happens to be um, someone I've known for a very long time as well so it was it was very comforting to have someone support me like she did throughout the early days and also just with my personality I am not someone who can sit for periods of time really like I I'm a very anxious person sometimes especially with postpartum anxiety I always had to be moving as someone in recovery I always have to be moving and breastfeeding just was not and in the end really it was a struggle and it was really bad for my mental health and it was really bad for my relationship with Benjamin because I would be getting frustrated but he was like this little tiny baby who was just doing what he like no control over what he's doing and there was no so I had a lot of guilt in feeling frustrated that he couldn't latch properly and we went to a couple consultations thinking that maybe he had um oh gosh i'm forgetting what it's called now a shallow latch and that he would need surgery for it and then i was like "Ah, i'm sorry i'm not getting surgery for something that he's only going to be you know he's not gonna be breastfeeding his whole life I'm not gonna if we can figure out another solution then let's do that so we didn't do the surgery and I eventually quit breastfeeding and pumping and I did I pumped as long as I I could we were home for three months together and then I was able to bring him to work with me And even there, like, I got this portable pump, pumped at work, and was, you know, able to to handle that for a little bit. My sister would nanny for me so I could have some days at work. 
without him and and that whole piece <laughs> again the pressures of being a mother geez louise i had so much guilt going back to work being this you know i i, I had identified so strongly with being this career driven driven woman i just didn't feel like there was a place for me to have the identity of this career-driven woman and a mother and honestly I even to this day I think I still struggle to include mother or parent as a part of my identity because there's I think there's just so much shame you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't we have there are so many people with opinions out there right and so I had to learn to <laughs> say forget forget those little voices in my head because it just it was destroying my mental health. So so I go back to work. I'm able to bring him and uh, there were some very special moments. It was very special for me to be able to do that. And and Bryce seeing Bryce as a parent and growing with him as a parent. This is a man who, you know, has never been around little tiny baby, little, yeah, a tiny baby, let alone any baby, you know, and he is so gentle and cautious and he'll probably tell you he's over cautious <laughs> because he's so worried about breaking them. But he... Oh, just seeing him be so eager to learn how to do it right and how to learn how to, you know, learn how to do all the things. It's been, it's been amazing. And, and he def, he shares the role so, so well. He really does. And, and he was able to be home with us while I was on maternity leave. I think he was home for two weeks total. So it was one week of us in the hospital and then it was one week with us at home. We get home with this, I'm backtracking, but we get home with this little tiny baby and we didn't have anything ready, right? So my mom and Steve come over and they put the changing table together for us, I think, because Bryce and I had already put the crib together. I needed it rearranged because I didn't want it under the window because I realized, oh, once he's old enough, he can pull that curtain down. <laughs> so they helped us rearrange the room. I needed some like small bassinets because I was not about to put this tiny little baby in a big old crib. And we had spent probably the first two months sleeping out in the living room together. I don't think I slept in my own bed until I started going back to work because of his feeding schedule. And I don't, I think I was still trying to breastfeed then. And then when we added formula, he started packing on the weight and Bryce and I were able to get into a routine where we could share the share in the process of of feeding him at night so there was like I think our routine was that Bryce I would stay up with him 
if he was up before midnight and then after midnight Bryce would get up with him and do the feeding so I could sleep because then I would be the one getting up with him in the morning and and it really worked out well for us and then it turned into actually I think it was starting like six months Ben started sleeping through the night and I think we got off formula around one year when we started adding soft foods and and now he he sleeps 12 hours a night we are <laughs> we are I don't know how we got so lucky to have a, a kid that he goes down at seven and sleeps till almost six so 11 12 hours a night he'll sleep straight through and so now leading up to now so us bringing him home in the middle of a polar vortex in the middle of january we were very used to isolating from people i wanted to be able to bring him everywhere but we had nurse friends who were like no it's rsv season honestly i can't even remember what rsv is but i just remember hearing it's really bad for babies to get and so it'd be best for you to just keep him home and limit who he sees so so we did so we isolated and and then his first birthday you know january of this year and he got sick in February for two weeks where he had a fever and we just couldn't figure out what it was. And I think antibiotics finally got rid of it. But, you know, when March came around with the first stay at home order, we were, you know, very curious to did you know did he have something back in February but he also is in daycare so we are aware that there are things that can you know they're they're little germ magnets at daycare and so I knew I knew with learning about what COVID was all about that that's probably where it would come from because we were doing our very best to socially distance and quarantine and stay home you know all the things we were only going to the grocery store we weren't seeing family extended family except my immediate family embraces immediate family and so yeah I think I'm I might stop there but because I want to talk about more about what it's been like parenting in a pandemic with Bryce because to be honest I think I've just been in like survival mode since it started up until a couple of days ago it really started to kick in that like wow there's a lot we've had to adjust to with COVID and certain parts of it it's it's been incredibly challenging and certain parts of it have been a blessing where I've had to really do some self-reflection and pay more attention and so yeah I'm still processing a lot of that but I would like to to bring Bryce into that conversation 
So I think I will end it here. And if you've made it this far, thank you so much for tuning in to my first episode. Like I said, the next one will be Bryce and I. And after that, we'll be jumping into to more interviews with parents from across the spectrum about their experience. And I think early on, this is it's going to include a lot of talk about parenting in a pandemic, right? Because that's relevant and that's what's happening. And maybe you're sick of hearing about the pandemic, but I'm really interested in honoring and hearing people's stories of, of what they're doing because I have no clue what I'm doing <laughs> as a new parent. Um, Benjamin is a very interesting little human. So I, I want to hear how other people do it. If they have older kids, how you know, what is it like for older kids? And I am so interested to hear what it's like with school age kids because y'all are all parents across the board are just superheroes right now. And I can't wait to, to introduce you to, to my, to my folks. So thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Hey, are you interested in being interviewed for the Parent Chat Podcast? If you are, you can email me at parentchatpodcast at gmail.com or anchor.fm forward slash parentchat forward slash message. That's anchor.fm forward slash parentchat forward slash message. Trying saying that. 10 times fast. Bet you can't because it's really hard. I just tried. <laughs> Say mommy. Daddy. Say mommy. Daddy.